just bless him this morning. Come on, bless him for his amazing grace. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace, God. We thank you for the freedom that we have in you, Lord. We thank you because we have been set free by the blood of the Lamb. We have been set free by the Spirit of the Lord. We have been set free by your word, by your promises. And we are grateful this morning, Lord. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your abundant love. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the presence of your spirit. Thank you for the abundance of your love. Thank you for you're a good God. Even when we're unworthy, God, you're worthy of worship. You're worthy of praise. Your mercy endures forever, God. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you today. We serve a good God. Amen. Amen, amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Praise the name of the Lord. It's so awesome to be in the presence of God. Amen. There is nothing, nothing like the presence of the Lord. And I just, I want to encourage you as we were singing, as, as we came into the part of the song, where we said we shout to every wall come down. I just want to encourage you. You got to be sensitive to moments. Because I'm a firm believer God's word is more than sufficient. Amen? That's right. What God says he means. But there are moments where God's spirit comes in. For example, over 22 years ago, there was a moment that I walked into a bedroom with my mother. And what they had been praying for years, for months, in a moment, it happened because the Spirit of God said, this is that moment. And we have to be sensitive to those moments because we can miss them. It's easy to miss them, especially when we're in church. You know, we sang a little bit longer. You know, normally we're done by 1120, so today we went to 1135 or whatever the case is. I don't know what, I, I don't time it, I'm just saying. But we can miss that because we sang four songs or five songs or three slow songs instead of one. We did a met, whatever it is, and, and we can miss those moments. And what I want you to know is don't miss the moment. The Spirit of God wants to do things in our heart. If we'll just be present, if we'll be available, He will cause things to change instantaneously. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. I got three hand claps. That's good. I'll take it. I'll take it. Glory to God. It ain't for me anyway. That's for you. It's for God, for His glory. Glory to God. First Thessalonians chapter 1. When you got it, say so. So. And it says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit. See, that's what I'm talking about, those moments. And in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Lord, thank you for your word that is truth. Thank you for your spirit that is here, God. And thank you for what you are doing in our hearts. I thank you for every life that is here before me, God. And Father, this morning, I just want to take a moment as we are in this day, Lord God, that our nation celebrates tragedy or remembers tragedy, Lord God. 
And Father, we just, we just come to you today and we pray for those families that are still shaken by those tragic terrorist attacks. Father, we lift them before you, Lord God. We pray for your grace and your strength over them. We thank you for those that are even in this room right now, Lord God, who were first responders, who were part of helping in the time of crisis in this nation. And Father, we just pray for your grace, for your strength and your blessing upon them. And Father, I pray today, Lord Jesus, that you would just continue to build our faith and our hope in you. As we look into your word in this new series, Lord God, I just pray, Spirit of the Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts. I pray that we would be faithful hearers of your word that don't just hear but do it. I pray that we would respond and that we would bring glory, that we would bring honor, and that we would bring praise to your name and our obedience to you. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, just raise your hand, please. We want to make sure everyone gets an outline. Um, we are starting, <clears throat> we're starting a new series um, today, and we're dealing with, um, it's going to be a series in the books of First and Second Thessalonians. Um, for some of you that may be new here, you've probably come in and you've heard me preach a few different uh, messages that have been more topical, and we've been dealing with specific topics. And, um, and so the beauty of that is that we are able to look at different things in the Scripture. But one thing that I love to do is I love to go through books of the Bible. I love to walk through the Scriptures. And there's a few reasons why I like to do this. One of them is so that way as we walk through the books of the Bible and we walk through the Scriptures, no one can say, I was preaching at you. <laughs> Amen. That, some of y'all will get that. I, I, I was informed um, a couple Sundays ago, um, some, someone educated me on something called subtweeting. Amen. Amen. So, raise your hand if you know what subtweeting is. I need to explain this. I need to explain this. So, so subtweeting in Spanish, it would be this, an indirecta. Oh, y'all got that now, right? <laughs> so for the rest of us that didn't raise our hand, that just sunk in right quick, right? So, so subtweeting is when you go and you post something because, you know, social media world, that's where everybody is so bold and courageous. Like, it's amazing how amazingly vocal people are on, like, places like Facebook and Twitter, but they'll never have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Like, people are not who they really are, right? And anyway, but, but, but sub, subtweeting is when you go ahead and you decide that you are going to put someone on blast but never say their name. Are you with me here? It's when you go ahead and you just air all that dirty laundry or whatever, and you just make sure that, I mean, all you had to do was put their name there and it would have been them, but you never said their name, so somehow that's okay, right? But listen. You know, so I was preaching, and there was a couple of things that I was saying, and someone said, you know, you, you were subtweeting me all day. And I said, what? I said, first of all, what is subtweeting? So I can know what we're talking about here. And then secondly, you know, I was like, look, I don't subtweet. If I got something to say, I'm going to say it to you. Amen. That's it. I mean, not, not because I'm all bad. and all. It's just, look, I, there's no, there, I, we ain't got time for all that subtweeting and all that, you know, subliminals, indirects, and all that. Can we just have a conversation? Like, listen, you got issues. You got bad breath. Here's a mint. I'm just saying, right? And I'm walking around like, yo, man, someone's breath is kicking up in this place. Like, help a brother out. I'm just saying, right? Like, that's love. That's why I love it. But anyway, I, I, I like preaching through books of the Bible because, you know, when you start touching on topical things, intentionally, unintentionally, it's funny because I was talking with um, Dr. Pete Owenson. He's, he's, one of, he's one of my mentors. And as him and I were sitting down, we were talking about a couple that goes to another church that I happen to be friends with that they asked me if I would do some counseling with them. And they said because they don't like to do counseling in their church because somehow it ends up being broadcast from the pulpit. Now, I want to say something to you because I've done a lot of counseling. And one thing that you have to realize is that, you know, the Bible says something that's pretty funny, and it is that there is nothing new under the sun. Some of y'all are going to get this in a moment. So when I'm sitting down with you in counseling and you're telling me about your stuff, I've probably counseled 10 other people that told me about their stuff that was just like that. And when I'm preaching, and I'm just saying this in general, when I'm preaching, things will come out and you think I'm talking about you and I'm not even thinking about you. Oh, hello, somebody. 
You are not even on my mind in any way, shape, or form until I look over and glance at you, and then I'm like, man, that, that happened, and then I, then I feel terrible. And that has happened to me. I want you to know that I do, I do my best, like I, I promise you. I do my best. I think through things that I say. I try to make sure that I don't say stuff if you've ever said it because I don't want you to think anything. And then if I say something that sounds like it, I just, I'll give you a call and be like, listen, I just want you to know I was not talking about you because I love you because I ain't like that. But anyway, anyway, when you preach through books of the Bible, it liberates you of all that stuff because I'm just going through the text of Scripture. And so if I get in your business, it wasn't me. It was, it, it, was, it, it was the Holy Spirit that was trying to work on your life. He was trying to work in the other one, but you're going to deny that. But when we go through the text, right, of Scripture, it's a little bit less easy to do that. That's one reason I like to do it. Another reason why I like to go through books of the Scripture, books of the Bible, is because I think it's important that we don't just hear, like, little pieces of the Bible. There's a lot. There's like 66 books here, a lot of chapters, a lot of verses. And most of us, I'm not, and I'm not saying this to be offensive, most of us have never even read through this book. Just saying. Most of us have never heard in preaching. We never hear people go through stuff because, you know, we get and we want to preach on one or two things. We want to put all of our opinions into stuff. And so you know what it forces us to do when we go through books of the Bible? It forces us to deal with stuff that we wouldn't necessarily deal with. It forces us to touch on topics that we would want to stay away from because that's too controversial or that's too difficult or whatever the case is. And so, ultimately, when we're going through these, that's the big reason. And, and, and the last reason, which I think is more important than all of that, is I really want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of who Jesus is. And the only way that happened is by going through the book that he inspired. Amen? And so we'll go through these books. You have your outlines, as always, and I encourage you again and again, be a disciple maker. Take these outlines. Take what you're learning here. You're going through a new book of the Bible. This is a great opportunity for you to take someone that you're trying to help grow in their faith and walk them through the, book of first, the books of First and Second Thessalonians as we look at this end time encouragement, which is the name of this, this series that we're going to go through. It's end time encouragement because really when you look at the book of First and Second Thessalonian, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's encouraging the church as they're going through difficult times, and this is years and years and years ago, and so they were in the end times as we are, like I've said this before, after the ascension of Jesus, the end times began. Are you here? We get closer and closer to that inevitable day when Jesus will return for his church and we will go to be with him in glory and we get closer to that. And so what we see is we see the culture continue to, be get, continue to get progressively worse morally, continue to dishonor God, continue to disrespect the Lord. Um, I was reading someone's post on Facebook. They were they're talking about, I think, their second grade child and things that their second grade child are already hearing in school. My heart is breaking as I'm reading this that a parent has to talk about things that we shouldn't have to even talk about in second grade. Are you hearing me? Seriously, it's, it, it's pain. It, it pains my heart. But that's the culture that we live in. That's the enemy that we're fighting against. And so this is encouragement for us during those times. And so here, if you look at your outline, you'll walk with me. Um, there is no such thing as a perfect church. Why do I say that? Why do I start off there? Because the title of this morning's message is Model Church. A model church because Paul is going to talk to you about this model church. He's speaking to the Thessalonians about their model, about their example that they have been. But what I want you to know is that despite the fact that they are an example, they are not perfect. Are you here? And so we can be a model. That doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. Now, um, when we think of the word, looking at your outline, the word model, especially in our culture, we think of something that has the appearance of perfection, yet we know is flawed, many times airbrushed, even fake, and surely unattainable without some type of extreme devotion to diet, exercise, or sacrifice that most of us are unwilling to commit to. Are you here? You know, when you think about models, right, you, you think about a person who's a model, you know, on that magazine, most of that stuff was airbrushed. Hello, somebody. Saying. The reality is when you, when you meet, the, you know that they, they, it has the appearance of this perfection, but there's something lacking, right? And so it's funny because I went into a model home, you know, you know some of you like to go into model homes to dream, and, you know, some of you like to go into model homes to, um, you know, to I don't know what else, but, you know, you like to go into model homes to get ideas of decoration and things like that. Some of you just, you know, you want to be there to stand on it and claim it in Jesus or whatever. You know, I don't know. But nonetheless, 
I went, we went into this model home, and this model home was like, I don't even know, I think it had like eight bedrooms. I wasn't in there claiming nothing. Hello, somebody. I wasn't in there praying. I was just curious. I, you know, it had this pool. Listen, you couldn't even swim in the pool. The pool was so amazing. It was like one of those pools. I mean, it was like a pool that was, it was a party pool meant for people to come and sit in. It had waterfalls. I mean, it was just amazing. And so I asked the lady, you know, she came in, and, and I was like, so let me ask something. How much does this house cost? You know what her words to me were? They kind of struck me. And she said, this house is unrealistic. Hold on a second. Then why is it the model? If it's unrealistic, why am I looking at it in, in order to you, for you to entice me to something that's unrealistic? Because what's going to happen is I'm going to look at all of these things. We're going to go sit down in a room, and you're going to tell me I can't afford this, 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 and this. Your house is really not going to look anything like that, but you got the same floor plan. So for you to live in that house, you're going to have to pay lots of money. You have to make lots of sacrifices in order for you to have something that's unattainable. Let me say this, second paragraph here. The church is the body of Christ. Say the body of Christ. And so as the body of Christ, there is no higher standard than that of the perfection we find in the Godhead. So what am I saying? We look at models and we say, man, that's something that is unattainable. And what I want you to know is that when you look at the body of Christ and who God is, we need to understand something, that God is the epitome of perfection. When you look at your Bible, you go from Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, something happens, the, 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 the fall occurs, and the Bible says that Adam and Eve fled from the presence of God. Because what? Because God is holy. Isaiah chapter 6, it tells us that Isaiah has this vision of the throne room, and he is like, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. You look at Matthew chapter 17. It is the thing called the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus goes up to this mountain with three of his disciples, and when he's up there, he transfigures in front of them into this white, glorious glorious um, appearance that is showing the glory and the wonder of God. You look at Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, these people came before for the Lord. They lied about an offering they were going to give, and they were struck dead. And then you look at all of Revelation and every single picture that you have, and what you and I begin to see is that we see that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy, God the Holy Spirit are the epitome of perfection and holiness. Now check this out. We, sinful, fallen man, are called with a holy calling, are redeemed by holy blood, filled with the Holy Spirit, partake of the incorruptible seed of God's holy word, and are called to model our Savior, not as fake, but as authentic, transformed and transforming new creations who are to unify at the cross in faith, in labor, in hope of Jesus' return before a world who needs to know him. I wrote all that down for you because I wasn't going to remember it, and, and you, you are not either. But it's here for you because I want you to realize that God is the epitome of holiness, of righteousness, of purity, of who he is. He is all that and then some. And when you look at him, I want you to know the same way that this woman said to me that this house is unrealistic. I can tell you his glory is unattainable outside of Christ. There is no way that we will ever be everything that God calls us to be apart from the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and we are called to represent him. I've said this for weeks, and I will continue to say it. We are called to be his image bearers. Last paragraph here. The letters to the church in Thessalonica give us encouragement in these end times, not only to fill us with hope for the future, but also to clearly define our responsibility as the church in the present. Did you hear that? What Paul does is he gives us some encouragement. He gives us plenty of encouragement as far as what we get to look forward to, to give us a hope. But he doesn't leave us there. He also shows us some instructions. He shows us what it is that we ought to be doing. So here's my big idea, or just to give you a little bit of history here, last part of this paragraph. The Apostle Paul founded this church on his second missionary journey. That's found in the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. When you look back there, this is the church that was founded there, and that is who he is writing to. And he writes them to encourage their faith and works as they look forward to the coming of Jesus. And so what he does, he goes, he plants this church, preaches to this church, ministers to them, and then he's away from them, and he writes them a letter. He says to them what he wants them to be doing. And so this is how he communicates. So here's my big idea. The church that awaits its Savior must be a model the world can only attain by grace. Did you hear that? 
The church that awaits its Savior must be a model that the world can only attain by grace. What do I mean by that? Let me, let, let, me, let me help you understand this. The love that we show must be a love that is higher than the love the world has. Are you hearing me? Our marriages should be an example that the world doesn't even understand because we are so engaged in the, in, in the word of God and our marriages reflect Christ. You know what happens to us? Let me, let me just say this to you. You know what happens is we hear this, and I've said this. I said this, the, the first sentence in, this, in, 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 in the paragraphs there was this. There is no such thing as a perfect church. And can I tell you something that I think happens to us? What I think happens to many of us is that we think because I hear the words, we are not perfect and we will never be perfect until the day that Jesus comes. Somehow we think that that's our ticket to just go ahead and live beneath the standards of God. Somehow we think that it's okay for me just, well, I'm never going to be perfect. And we just chalk it up. Hold on a second. When did, when, when did the Bible ever tell you to just chalk it up? Even the Apostle Paul, I mean, we go to Romans chapter 7 and we talk about this great battle. Did he just chalk it up? Are y'all hearing me? Did he just chalk it up? Did he just say, well, you know, there's this sin thing in me and I'm just going to be overcome by it for the rest of my life. And so did he give? No, he turned to the saving grace of Jesus. He believed that God, he, he, he goes into Romans chapter 8 and he gives us the encouragement. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He, he encourages us through that chapter so we can do what? So we can pursue perfection. It may not ever be attained on this side of heaven. It will not be attained on this side of heaven. But that doesn't mean that we should just relax and be like, hey, it's okay you know, for me to be like this. It's okay for me to be this way, that way, and the next way. No, 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 no. hold on a second. The model. See, because here's the thing, church. There are plenty of people that don't know Jesus. I'm going to say this. They give more than you. They don't give to church. They give to their favorite charity. There are plenty of people that they volunteer more time than you volunteer. They don't volunteer in church, but they're going to the Humane Society. They're tree huggers. They're all this and that. They're do-gooders. I've said that before. And you know what? They volunteer more time, and they don't complain about it. Are you hearing me? You know, they're, they're not. They're like, they, they feel good about this, right? And so there, there are people who do good. Listen, can I tell you something? There are some people that are heathens. They don't know Jesus, and they have good marriages. Some marriages better than ours. There are some people that, are, that, that they're not Christian. And you know what they do? They know how to forgive and we don't. <laughs> they know how to forgive and we don't. They know how to let stuff go and we don't. But we're the Christians. Listen, I'm not just talking about morality because I want you to understand this. It is not just about being morally correct because everything I just described, those are all moral components to our life. But what I want you to know is that God calls us to a higher standard. God calls our marriages to a higher standard. God calls our parenting to a higher standard. God calls our relationship with, with our, with our co co-workers to a higher standard. He calls us as employees to a higher standard than the world. And so listen, if these people that are not knowing Jesus are living at that certain moral standard, what do you think about us, church? See, our motivation has to be right. So the first thing that I'll say is this, which, will, which, which leads us here, is say this with me. Say, our character must be derived from our doctrine. Our character must be derived from our doctrine. And we talk about doctrine, we talk about teaching, we talk about beliefs, we talk about what people believe. And what I want you to realize is that we are, I try to be in this church a person the reason we are a non-denominational church is not because I wanted to be some kind of rebel, right? It was because I really wanted to be someone who was not bound to any specific denomination's creed or code, not because those things are bad, but, you know, they, they, they're, they're not God's word. Are you hearing me? And what I wanted to do is I wanted to make sure that we were as faithful to this book as we could be, okay? Are we perfect at it? No, we are as imperfect as any other church on planet Earth. Amen. No matter what they feel, no matter what they think, we are as imperfect as anyone else. But we strive to hold to the scriptures. And why is that? Because there's a scripture where Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees as they're talking about what you put in your mouth. And Jesus says, you nullify the word of God by your traditions. 
And what I understand is this. It is the entrance of God's word into our lives that is this light that comes into us. I told you that I, I, I love the word theopneustos, which is where we talk about all scripture is divinely breathed in. It is God breathed. It is the word of God entering into our lives that transforms our hearts, that transforms our minds. And you know what the scripture says, Romans chapter 12? It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may be able to know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So what is he saying? He's saying two things to what Paul is saying in Romans 12 too. He is saying this. He's saying, number one, don't think the way the world thinks. Number two, if you don't, the way that you think is the way you're going to live because that is the will you're going to live out. Are you getting that? He says, so you will know what is God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. And so the way that we know God's will is through God's word. The way that we want to live God's will is by God's word entering our hearts and changing us. And so when we talk about doctrine determining our lifestyle, we talk about doctrine determining our character. What I'm saying is this. You can tell me all the doctrinal beliefs you hold, all the degrees on the world do not make your character be what it's supposed to be. Are you hearing me? So we can talk about doctrine all day long. We can talk about teaching all day long. But my question is, how has your character been influenced by the doctrine you say you believe? See, because when we look at Paul, and he speaks to the Thessalonians here, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Look what he says. Paul, Silvanus, so these are the guys that are writing, and, you know, letters were written a little bit different back then. So instead of the, at the end, they didn't sign off. They signed in the beginning here. So Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, so these are the three people that are communicating to the church, Paul being the one who's writing or the, authoring this book. He says, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing you realize is he begins to encourage the church, say the church. He doesn't go and decide to encourage a, a person. He encourages the church, reminding us that we need to be encouraged as a church. We need to be in relationship with one another so we can experience this encouragement from one another. And so he goes on to communicate that. And then he says this, he says, reminding them of grace and peace, say grace and peace. Why does Paul always, I mean, in almost every single one of his epistles, he starts off somewhere in there saying, grace and peace to you. He's communicating something that we desperately need. Are you here? We need the grace of God and the peace of God. We need the grace of God, which empowers us to live holy. The only reason why we are saved is because of the grace of God. And so Paul is praying for grace to be added to you and peace because we have peace with God. And so because we have peace with God, one bumper sticker that I happen to like, no peace, no Jesus. No, no, no Jesus, no peace. Hello. Right? And so no Jesus, no peace. And so if you know him, K-N-O-W, right? No Jesus, right? No peace, right? No Jesus, right? No peace. And so the reason why we have peace with God is because of what? Is because of what Jesus has done. And he's reminding them of that in his encouragement to them. And so he's reminding them that we have this. And so if, and, and, and this is where doctrine begins. Look at the next verse here. He says, we give thanks to God always for you. But he said this in the first verse, I'm sorry, in, in, in verse 1. He said, grace to you and peace to you. Why is this so important? Because these are indicatives. Say indicatives. There are, there are indicatives in the Bible and there are imperatives in the Bible. You've heard me say this word before. But if you've never written it down, you can write it down now as you're taking notes as good students of the word. Amen. There are indicatives in the Bible and imperatives, especially when we deal in the New Testament. Indicatives are things that have been done for you. Sounds like indications, right? And so there are things that the New Testament communicates that are the indicatives of the gospel. It is what Jesus did for you, not anything you can do for yourself. You cannot change yourself. You cannot transform yourself. You cannot save yourself. I can do none of those things. Those are indicatives. Those are what Jesus has done. And then there are the imperatives. The imperatives are the commands of God. The things that are imperative, right? That is imperative that you do that. These are things that are commanded. These are things that you are called to do. And so grace and peace, are those imperatives or are those indicatives? Say indicatives. Because you're all smart you knew that. Those are indicatives. Those are things that God has done for us. Can I tell you something? This is where our doctrine is developed. It is not, and, and, and not only our doctrine, but that is where our character is rooted. Are you here? You see, what happens to us is we get these two backwards because what we want to do is we want to look at the imperatives of the scripture and think that that is what is going to develop my character. Are you here? 
But the thing that we got to understand is that God wants to develop our character based on the indicatives of the scripture and then bring us to the displaying of our character as we live out the imperatives of the scripture. See, what happens, to, so what happens to us is we can become, see, when we look at, if we just look at Romans 7, I mentioned this earlier. If we look at Romans chapter 7 and we see the struggle that is there because of someone, what was Paul trying to do in Romans 7? He was trying to live the commands of God. In other words, he was trying to live the imperatives of God and he found that there was a battle that was going on in his flesh. There was a battle. There was a part of him that wanted to serve God, but another part that was hindering him. And the reason why he comes and says who will save me from this body of sin oh wretched man that I am and then he gives glory to Jesus because you know what he realized is that he can try to do the imperatives all day long but if your motivation is wrong you will never live for the glory and honor of God and so what happens is when my motivation is what Jesus has done for me, that's the reason why every week I do my best to make sure that we rehearse. And I say rehearse because I am hoping that it sinks in to your hearts that we are all sinful, the gospel, that God is holy, he is righteous. We are separated from God because of our sin. We can do nothing to appease God, to make God happy with us. And, and, and if we continue in our sin, if we continue in our own religious righteousness, Guess what? We will remain separated from God and we will spend eternity in hell. But the beauty of the story is that Jesus steps in. He comes into this earth. He puts on human flesh, lives a perfect sinless life. He dies on the cross for us so that way we can have life and life abundantly. So we can experience the wonder, the beauty, and the power of who God is this side of heaven. We're not waiting to go to heaven. We are here living with our glorious Savior now. See, this is, what, is why we, are, we, we have to get excited. But can I tell you something? I can do backflips up here. I can lose my voice. I can make you deaf. I'm pretty sure I could. And that's not going to excite you. Not in the way that you need to be excited. See, that happens through you being in the Word of God and the word of God renewing your mind, and the word of God renewing your heart. And I've said this before, it is us looking at what the indicatives are in the scripture and what Jesus has done for us. But Paul goes on to say, he, he tells him this in the next verse here is where I wanted to go next. In verse two, he says, we give thanks. Say, give thanks. He said, we give thanks to God always for you. I love this. We give thanks to God always for you all. Can I tell you something? At least half of the issues in church would not exist if we gave thanks for all. <laughs> Glory to God. If we could give thanks for all. See, I know some of y'all like, I can give thanks for him, for her, for them, but not them. <laughs> Bishop, you're asking for a lot. Like all, like yes, all. The headaches, the heartaches, the backaches. All the aches, glory to God. Give thanks for all. If we, I want you, I mean, I want you to think about this. How many of us give thanks always for all of us? How many of us, I mean, make it a part of our, man, I give thanks for my church. I give thanks for my brothers. I give thanks for A, B. Well, I give thanks for all of those in the church. Listen, our mindset will be different. We said this in marriage. In, in, mar in marriage counseling, it's the same thing. I always say this. You know what happens to us in marriage? You want to know why, why marriages fall apart typically? I'm going to say this is 90% of the reason. is because we stop praising one another in our marriages. We stop thanking God for our spouse, and we started complaining about them all the time. Mm-hmm. Glory to God. It's no different in the church. We're in a covenant. Amen. We're in a covenant relationship with one another. And so that means that we are supposed to give thanks for all. That's what Paul does. So he's encouraging us to give thanks. And look what he does here. He's making mention of you in our prayers. Hold on a second. Glory to God. 
Let me tell you the other 10%. The other 10% of church issues right there. If we, 90% will be in just thanking God for each other. The other 10% will be dealt with in praying for one another. Hello. You know the all that you're thanking God for, and then you pray for them. Lord God, and you know, I'm giving thanks for this one, but. We need, we need some work here, Lord. Amen. Glory to God. I put that in there. That is not in the footnotes, all right? But the reality is I can give thanks for, listen, I can give thanks for difficult people and then I can pray for them, that God would help them. But you know what I can also pray for? That God would help me. Because, you know, the scripture says as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another man's countenance. And so you know how iron sharpens iron, right? You've seen that kind of stuff like in, on, on some, some place. There's sparks that fly. Hello? It's not like a little just, hey, we're just going to rub each other and real soft and, you know, like this, this. No, 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 no. You know, like, like, like that, that's, not, that, that's not what it's talking about here. Like there's someone using, like this piece of metal and someone is banging on that piece of metal in their spot. And it's heated. Hello, somebody. It's not, just, it's not just cool and relaxed. It is painful, a, a painful process. And can I tell you something? Some of you are the painful process. And I know I'm the painful process in some of your lives, so I'm okay with that. You know, it's not like I'm intentionally. Like, can I tell you something? Don't be an intentional pain. Right? Like, don't just say, well, Bishop said I'm a pain part of the painful process, so I'm going to just keep it real. You know, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Sometimes you need to recognize that when you bang somebody, that was God trying to show you, hey, man, you went too far. Are you here? When you open your mouth and you shouldn't have, God was like, you know, you need to shutty. Right? You need to repent. I, I, I read this really good article. I'm going to send it to you all tomorrow. Um, it's a really good article. It's about the worst ways to apologize. Can I tell you what number one on there was? Let me tell you what number one was. No, no, this is the one that I, and I never understood why I hated this so much until I read this article. But the number one worst way to apologize is if I offended you or if I did something to hurt you. What kind of, anyway. That is the devil. That is the weakest, wimpiest, like, that is the worst way to come. Because you know what you do? You know, this, this is why I understood after I read the article. You know why that's so bad? It's because you put it back on that person. Like, you're the one with the issue, not really me. Like, I, I don't know that I did anything, but just in case. Oh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that's weak, right? I, I'm the one that's just too sensitive, right? I'm the one, shut up. Make a real apology, glory to God. Confess your sin one to another. Amen. I'm just saying. And so ultimately, we have to be those kind of people that give thanks for all and that we pray for all. Verse 3 here, he says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, by our God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit spirit and in much assurance as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And so we're encouraged to give thanks for one another, praying always for one another and remembering our works of faith, labor of love and patient hope. This is a model church. Are you here? It is a people that give thanks for each other, people that pray for one another, a people that remember that there are people that are working out their faith, that there are people that are doing works in faith. And so you know what? They may be imperfect as they are working, but you know what? They're working. Hello? They're laboring in love. That's what is supposed to happen. We're supposed to labor, work hard in love. There's no perfect people. Listen, we need to be growing in that perfection, but we need to get to that place that we remember that as we're giving thanks, that you know, man, I thank God for my brother Ozzy because he plays that bass. You know, I thank God for my brother Lewis because he does the sound. I thank God for the ushers because they, they, they help, they protect it. You know, they got, I thank God for our children's ministry. I thank God for all of those serving in media. They help us to be able to engage and worship. I thank God. I know, I know sometimes they get on my nerves. Hello? I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about y'all. I, I know sometimes they rub me the wrong way. You know, I, I thank God for the, you know, thanking God for the works, thanking God for those people that are patient and hope. That's a model church. Let me say, I love this quote as I was studying. I read this. The church is not a club we join, a retirement plan we subscribe to, or a competition we enter to win a trophy. It's a family of love where we serve one another. Are you here? It's not some club that we come and join and like, hey, man, I got this is my seat. 
You know, I told y'all about that, you know, a couple years ago. Y'all need to just start switching up seats every week. As a matter of fact, ushers, hear me what I'm saying right now. Make everyone sit somewhere different next week, glory to God. No one's coming next week. Y'all come next week and be seated somewhere different, glory to God. The thing is this, you know, I have my spot, you know, I have this. You know, you know somebody, I don't, I don't know if y'all read that article, but you know that someone got shot in a church over a seat. Straight up, shot. I think it was an usher, was caring, and when I walked up on him, was like, and the dude was like, yo, man, back up off me. And he just got nervous, and he shot the guy. Go check, go Google it. You think I'm lying? Go Google It's crazy. One of y'all shared it on Facebook. I don't know who it was. I think it was Yolanda. I think Yolanda might have shared it or something like that. That's why I read it, because I, I wasn't, like, looking for it. But anyway, just crazy stuff. Don't be shooting people over seats, man. Hello. The gospel, the gospel, our election should spur us toward exemplary living for God's glory and for the sake of others. It is only by grace, hear me, through the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, as Paul points out here, that we are able to display the character of a true disciple of Jesus. It's by grace, what I'm, what I'm asking you to do, what I'm talking about right here, what the scriptures are calling us into. It is a work of grace. It is a work of the power of the Spirit of God in our life. And that is what we need to be pursuing God for, that the character of Christ will come through us. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must be examples to be effective in evangelism. We must be examples to be effective in evangelism. Let's read the next two verses here, verse 6 to verse 8. And he says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. From, for from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. That is a beautiful testimony, is it not? We must be examples before we're going to be effective in evangelism. Now listen, I want, I want to make a, make a point here before I, before I get into this. I'm not talking about when you walk up on someone. I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily what the evangelism team does when they're going out there, you know, um, on the Friday nights at, at Church Street. You know, it, it, w w they need to be an example in the sense that the love of Christ needs to come out through them. Amen? Right? Like, that's where they need to be an example. They're not going to be able to be out there and, you know, get to know people and walk in relationship with them before they start opening their mouth. That's just probably not going to happen. But what I do realize is that no matter who you are, no matter what the context is, you need to make sure that you are an example that people can look at so that way there are people that want to hear you. Are you getting that? Wherever you are, you need to be an example. What these people did clearly is he says to them, he says that they began to do what? He says, and you became followers, verse 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. And so what, what, what I realized is that the result of the gospel in the Thessalonian church was them becoming examples of the examples they followed who followed the example of Jesus. Did you get that? They became examples of the examples they followed who followed the example of Jesus. That's what they did. They were simply following Christ. They were simply following in the footsteps of their Savior. They were simply following in Jesus' footsteps in the way that they were living. And so when it talks about being an example, the, the word example, it is spelled T-Y-P-O-S. It sounds like, it looks like typos, but it's spelled, but it sounds out tupos, tupos in the Greek. And what it means is this, is it means that which is shaped by an impress, that which is shaped by an impress. And so have you ever like been impressed by someone? Anybody ever been impressed by someone? Right? You see someone, the way they carry themselves. You see someone, maybe someone gets up and, you know, sings a song. I never forget, I mean, I, it, this, this happens to me, you know, uh, you know, sometimes when I hear somebody sing a song for the first time. I remember the first time I heard LaDonna sing. I mean, y'all, have y'all ever been blessed by LaDonna? I'm just saying, right? I mean, the first time I was like, go, go on and sing, girl. Come on now. I mean, you just, you know, you, 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 it just comes out, glory to God. And, 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 and you're, you're impressed by that, right? You, you get around someone and you're impressed. And, you know, if you're impressed with someone's haircut or something like that, right? Like, I don't have no hair, but anyway, you know. But, but it, I, for, so for me, it's like, hey, that's a great haircut. I would love to have one. I can't. But nonetheless, um, I'm just going to shave it off. But, but here's the thing. When you're impressed with someone, right, then you're looking like, yo, man, who hooked you up? 
right? Because you're impressed by them. Something happens. But this is an, this is an impression that is internal, that comes by the word of God coming into our lives, by the examples that we live. See, this, this is what happens. You and I got to get this. When we are living as tupos, as when we are living, and, and I say it like this, when we are living as typos in the culture, did you get that? When we are living as those who don't belong in the culture, those who stand out in the culture, those who seem like they, they don't, because we don't belong, because this is not our homeland. Are you getting that? When we are living as tupos before people, what happens is God is using our lives to impress them. He's using our lives to impact them so that way they can do what? So they can look to Jesus, the one who is impressing us, so that way they can do what? They can follow him and do what? Lead others. Are you getting this? This is what it means to make disciples church. That's where we need to be at, at that place that we realize, listen, I'm not just living righteous before this world to no avail. There is a purpose. God is using my life. But can I tell you something? You got to open your mouth. Hello. You cannot just be a good example. People need to hear the truth of why you live the way you live. That's the hope. They need to hear the truth of why you're able to stand under whatever it is you're going through, why you're able to live the way you do. It is because they need to see that. And so look what he says. He says, no, he says they received the word in much affliction, and the, and the result was that the word went out from them in every place to the degree that the preaching of the, of the gospel was made easy for the apostles. I love what he says here. Look what he says in this, in, in, in this, in, in this last verse, in verse 8. He says, from you, the word of the Lord, has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. And so from these people who had experienced God, the word of the Lord was going out. But then Paul goes on to say, he says, your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So was Paul saying, hey, man, we don't even need to say anything. We don't, we don't even need to speak. Was, it, was that what he was, what, what he was trying to say? Or was he trying to say, you know what, we don't, even, we don't even get up there and start talking about what God has done because it is so evident, makes the preaching of the gospel easier. Are you with me? See, that's, that, that, that's the kind of life that we're supposed to be living. See, the reason why this is important, church, is because the enemy has worked hard at damaging the image of the church and the culture. As we live as examples... We model true Christianity and can restore that image. You get that? The culture has done whatever it can to make Christianity look bad. And, and, and listen, let me just say this because I know there's some, you know, folks in here that are a little bit negative on the church, you know, and you're like, well, the church has, d d you know, done that to themselves. Yeah, there, there's truth to that. You know, we've given them fuel to go ahead and make that happen. But I promise you, we haven't given them the fuel that they have added. We haven't given them the fire that they added to that fuel. See, there's a difference. We may have given them something to look at. We may have given them some things because we have fallen short. But you know what? A lot of times they don't see the other side of stuff. They don't see the, the, the side of repentance. They don't see the side of grace. And can I tell you something? That's what we need to do. We need to restore that image. And again, we don't need to try to restore the image before the whole world. We need to restore the image before the world that we live before. Whoever it is that we're living before, that's what we're there to do. We're there to restore the image so they can see who God is and they can experience God's grace and God's love through us. We must receive the word of God. We must receive that word into our lives before it is going to go forth from us in power. Listen, if it's not changing us, it's not going to change anyone else. I love the saying, you got to be good news before you can be or share the good news. You got to be good news. Hello. Your life needs to reflect Christ. Your life needs to reflect his love before you're going to be able to be the good news. Number three, say this with me. We must practice, must practice. idol abandonment for true worship. We must practice idol abandonment for true worship. Let's finish this up here, verses 9 through 10. And he says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. So the people that were looking at the example of the Thessalonian church, they were declaring to Paul about how they, they um, the impact that was there. And he says, And how you turned from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We must practice idol abandonment for true worship. 
You see, receiving God's word is an act of faith empowered by the Holy Spirit. Turning from idols is an act of repentance empowered by the Holy Spirit. And both require our willingness. Are you here? Both of things are acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to have faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to repent. But we must agree, we must be willing, we must acknowledge, especially when we come across this line of faith. It is us that says, you know what, when God is showing me something, you know what we do a lot? I'm going to tell you what we do a lot when we talk about idolatry. When we talk about idolatry, you know what people automatically do? They start to defend their idols. Are you here? See, we live in a world that is saturated with idolatry. You know, you don't see them. You know, you think when you think about idols, you think of some fat Buddha or something like that. You know, you think, you think of some kind of shrine or, or something like that. But you don't think of stuff like beauty, like that. That couldn't be an idol. You don't think of stuff like success. That can't be an idol. You don't think of stuff like possessions. Those can't be idols. You know, I, I've said this before, and, and, you know, some parents, they get a little upset or whatever the case is. Our kids can be idols. Hello? Our spouses can be idols. Hello? It's just a reality. I said, I, I confessed this the other day. I said, look, I battle, I struggle with idolatry over my kids. I love my kids to death. I mean, I will give my life for my kids. When, you know, I heard about, when you guys, you know, think about it, for those of you that heard us praying this morning, you know, there, there's a young man, that, he's not a young man, he's a grown man now, but he was a, a youth in our church and, um, very close friends with um, Pastor Aldo's youngest brother, Francisco, and his, his name is Danny. So if you remember him when you pray for him, but he has three, he had three children. The one of them was about to turn two, I think, or three, and he posted on Facebook. He was like, my son would have turned two in a couple of days, but he got caught under a beanbag and died. I don't know how that happened. All I know is that it's devastating. You know, Danny's like a joker, so I thought maybe he was joking. Like, I don't know, you know, some people put crazy jokes. But, you know, then I looked at all the comments, and I seen that. And, and, and what I realized is that, listen, I mean, th that's heartbreaking. Like, I couldn't even think of what I would do. I mean, what would happen? I mean, just being honest with you, I think that I would probably, if one of my children died or something like that, I think that I would probably border on bitterness with God. I'm just saying. I think I, think I would have to get over some stuff. I know you don't want to hear your pastor say that, but that's just a reality. Like, I might have to take a sabbatical. I might, I mean, I don't know what would happen. I'm just being really honest with you. And so when I tell you that, you know, your kids are an idol or whatever the case is, don't think that I'm not looking at myself. Hello? Don't think that I'm not like, hey, you know, you need to stop worshiping your kids. Look, man, I, I battle with that. I wouldn't say it to you if it wasn't something that I knew to be true. And so the reality is, though, we have to be those people who when God is showing us the idols in our lives that we repent of them because you know what i've found and this is why we this is why we worship idols it is because idols give us life are you here you see i worship the idol of success because i find my identity in my success that's what i do you know, I'm going to be a hard worker because I'm going to be a great provider. And, I, and are, are any of those things bad? No. Working hard is not bad. Being a good provider is a good thing. Those are all biblical things as well. But can I tell you something? It's just like sex. You know, sex is a biblical thing, and it's a good thing inside of marriage. Amen. Right? That's the only place that it is supposed to be good. Now, wait a second. You know, people have had sex outside of marriage, and it seemed good outside of marriage, too. It's perverted outside of marriage. It is only good in God's eyes inside of marriage. But can I tell you something? We pervert the things that God creates to be enjoyed, and we worship them instead of experiencing them the way that we should. Instead of worshiping him through those things. See, I worship God through my success. I worship God through everything in my life. But see, the thing is that I have to make sure that my life source is God. That's the reason why they did what? They turned from their idolatry to what? True worship. They turned from their worship of false idols to true worship so they could experience what it was that they were supposed to experience in a relationship with Jesus. And so I'm closing right here, but listen to me. Will you commit to being a model church? As we looked at this, will you be a person that says, I am going to abandon idolatry. I'm going to recognize the idols in my heart. You know, we live in a culture that is filled with idolatry. And I love what one preacher says, our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts make idols all the time. 
We decide we're going to worship this thing. We're going to worship that thing. And so are you willing to say, God, I want to be a model church. I'm going to turn from my idolatry. You're sitting right here right now. You know what things you worship. You know what things are taking first place in your life. You know what things are on your mind all the time. And God says, turn from that idolatry to me, the true and living God. Because here's the thing you got to realize about this idolatry is that when you are a person who is worshiping, those idols may give you life in the beginning, but eventually they begin to suck the life out of you. God doesn't want you to experience that. God wants you to experience true life. Are you a person that is struggling in the, in, in the displaying of character? Where is it in your life that you know that you know that you should be a person who is de displaying the character of God? And man, your character is just lacking. And again, the same way that God calls you to repent of your idolatry, he calls you to repent of those areas where your character is lacking and offers you grace in order to overcome those areas where your character is lacking. Where is it that you're lacking in being an example? You know, you might, you might be in this place and you know that people have been looking at your life and they haven't been seeing a Christian in you. They've been hearing the words of your mouth. They haven't been hearing a Christian in you. They've been looking at your decisions. They haven't been seeing a Christian making decisions like that. And you know what? You may need to go ahead and rectify those situations and repent of those sins today. You may need to confess to them that you've been a bad example. You know? And in other situations, you just need to turn away from your sin and you need to walk with God by his grace. See, God alone, church, offers us the hope we need and the gospel to be a model church which bears the mark of his, of his character. You know what God wants to do? He wants to impress upon your life his character. He wants to impress upon your life his word. And that way your life reflects him and all that you do. That way you can be an example, you can abandon idolatry, and you can be a one who displays the character of God based upon what God's word says. Let's all stand to our feet. Bow our heads, please. Now, if you're in this place today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus... You know that you have some idols in your life. You know that you have some, some sin in your life. You have some areas of rebellion in your life that you need to address. Today, Jesus, you've heard his word. And so it's up to you to repent. You have to repent. You have to turn from that sin. You have to trust Jesus that he is God the Son, that he is the Savior. So if that's you in this place today, I ask you to put your faith in him. I ask you to trust him today. Don't leave this place without confessing your sin before God. Secondly, if you're in this place today and, you just, and you're a Christian, you're a child of God, but you know the Holy Spirit was, called, was talking to you. You know the Lord was addressing you. Maybe it was on idolatry. Maybe it was in the area where your character is lacking. I don't know where it is. Maybe it's in the area of, of evangelism, of not being an example. I don't know where it is. But what I'm going to ask you to do today is I'm going to ask you, if you want to, if you want to make that commitment to Jesus as, as someone who has never made that commitment before, if you're a person in here that you know the Spirit of the Lord was speaking to you about some area that you need to address, listen, I'm going to ask you to come forward with me and I'm going to ask you to let us pray with you. Don't sit in your seat. Don't wait for someone else to come. You come because you know the Lord is dealing with you. Praise the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to ask you to just worship him right now. Don't miss this moment where the Lord is calling you, where the Lord is drawing you unto himself. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus you in this place. Father, thank you. We honor your name today. Glory to your name. If I could have a couple of leaders come and pray, and I want to pray a general prayer for all of us. But we thank you so much today, God. We thank you so much today for your goodness, for your grace toward us. Father, you see our hearts this morning. 
Lord, you see where we are today, God. Father, you see what we're facing. You see the battles that are there. Father, you see the strongholds and lives in this place. Father, that are trying to hold people back from moving forward in you, God. You see their lives, and I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would break those chains in Jesus' great name. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would extend your power and your presence into these lives in here, that you would bring healing to the hurting, that you would bring a revival to the hearts of those who have been wayward in their walk with you, God. Today, Lord God, let the chains fall, my God. Father, let us repent. Let us recognize those idols in our hearts, Father God. Forgive us for holding dear to our idols. Forgive us for holding on. Forgive us for worshiping our opinions more than we worship you, more than we reverence your word. Forgive us for bowing to our feelings more than we bow to your spirit, my God. Forgive us, Heavenly Father. God, cleanse us today. Fill us today, Lord God, with your presence. Fill us with your power, my God. And Father, I pray for any in this place that do not know you today. Father, I pray that you would draw their hearts to you. I pray that you would draw them unto you. I pray that you would fill their hearts with your grace, that you would fill their hearts with your love. I pray that they would turn from their sin today and that they would trust you, Lord God, that they would recognize your greatness that they would recognize your love. We pray this in the good name of Jesus. Come on, just begin to worship him. Just worship him now. Come on, give him thanks because he's worthy. Give him thanks because he's holy. Give him thanks because he's mighty.